Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Whether you are here in person or tuning in online, we're so thankful that you're here. You can see everything that's going on, and we're going to have fun together. Who's excited to be here today? All right, I'm glad that you're here. This is the finale of our series this summer that we've entitled The Usual Suspects. And we've been digging into these characters from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we're trying to figure out how much we are like them and what we can learn from them and see how that impacts us and inspires us to live out our daily lives. This is the finale. You know, the finales are a big deal. When you get to the finale of your favorite episode of television series that you've been watching or whatever, it's like, what is going to happen? And, and we're hoping that as we dig into this last uh, character today that we get inspired with a fresh perspective of what God is up to and what he might have in store for us at an individual but also a corporate uh, communal level as well. Really quickly, if you're here in person or online, I want you to participate in this. We're doing a poll by the show of hands. So on Online, use your chat board to type yes or no, depending on your answer. How many of you dream when you sleep? Put your hands up. You remember dreaming when you sleep? That's awesome. How many of you do not dream when you sleep? Come on, there's a few of you. Yeah, okay. That's awesome. I want to tell you one of my favorite dreams that I remember having as a kid. It reoccurred time and time again, and I loved it. Like, when I was happening, it, I was so excited. Like, yes, this is going to be a really good sleep because my favorite dream is happening. It was, it was a dream that I could fly. And what would happen is somebody would throw a Frisbee in the air, and because I was such an athletic genius, I'd be able to jump onto that Frisbee and use it as my hoverboard and fly wherever I wanted to around my town or wherever we were going. It was amazing. And in fact, if I could pick a, a superpower to have, I would pick the power of flight. To be able to like fly wherever I wanted, just skim right over the water, you know, not have to worry about falling off a building because, hey, I can fly. It's amazing if I had that superpower. Now, here's the thing about dreams. We are encouraged in our culture and our society to dream, to dream a lot, to pursue our dreams and do all these things dream related. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to dream? What does it mean to actually live our life in pursuit of a dream? And how can we make sure that, that God is actually in our dreaming? For the answers to those questions, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the story of a man named Joseph. If you've got a Bible with you, either in paper, analog form, or digital format, I want you to jump in with me to the book of Genesis chapter 37 and keep it open because we're going to, we're going to dive in and out of this book over the next few moments together because there's a lot to cover. Joseph's story starts in chapter 37 and it concludes at the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50. There's a lot going on. So you're going to want to make sure that you can pop in and out with us. Chapter 37, let's take a sneak peek starting at verse 1. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, 
a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think uh, you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream. And he said, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. All right, here's what we know. Joseph was the youngest child of a whole bunch, a whole conglomerate of children, lots of brothers, lots of fun. And if you've ever had a brother or you got a brother-in-law, you know that teasing and some sort of camaraderie and connection is going to be involved in your relationship. So imagine for a moment being a young 17-year-old kid. You got all these older brothers, and you do two things that are going to absolutely make them crazy. You tattle on them, right? You tell, the, you tell your dad all the bad stuff that they're doing when they're supposed to be working, tending the flocks. Yeah, they weren't even there with the sheep. I don't know what they were doing. They were swimming or something. Oh, my goodness. They left them alone for four days. Can you believe that? They were sleeping. They were doing all, you tattle, right? Not only that, but then you find out as an older sibling. Now, I am an older sibling. I only have one sister. And when I found out that my sister is the favorite, oh my goodness, my world changed that day. I mean, I always knew it in my heart of hearts, but when I found out, it was a whole different game plan. And that's exactly what happened here. These older siblings, they have a hunch They've got a hunch that this Joseph kid is the one that their dad favors the most. He's drawn to him. He, he seems to always have time for him. And then he does something over and above all the other stuff up until this point. He gives him a special robe, a robe that's many colors. Now, what's really important to understand is like creating a garment like that at this time would have taken a lot of effort and energy and a lot of expense to dye something. It's not like tie-dye today. Anybody can go home, go to the dollar store, get some tie-dye, make a tie-dye t-shirt, be like, woohoo, I'm Joseph. That's not what we're talking about. This coat was a labor of love intentionally. All the colors chosen for specific purposes and reasons. And this gift, this lavish gift that Jacob gives to his youngest son at the time, Joseph, was that symbol of like, I choose you above all. And that reinforced the lie that his older siblings believed that their earthly father cared about him more than they, the rest of them. That's the greatest fear as a sibling, isn't it? That your parents actually prefer one of your other siblings to you? And then Joseph starts having dreams. And that's where I think it has a tipping point for me. Because he has these dreams and, and they seemingly that like God is speaking to him. 
And what's different between now, the time that we live in, and then the time that they lived in, is that God's presence was poured out more sparingly than it is now. God's presence right now, it is the best time to be alive on our planet, pandemic or not. It is the best time to be alive from a spiritual capacity intellect and all that kind of stuff because God's presence is poured out in abundance on us, on our land, on our people, in our history. The barrier to relationship with the creator of the universe is completely removed because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He offered his life so that you and I would have a living sacrifice once and for all that we could stand blameless before God and have a relationship. That is good news. But in this time period, when Joseph and his brothers and his family were alive, Jesus had not yet given his life in that way. And so they had this unique, evolving relationship with the creator, one that involved sacrifice. Somebody had to take the place, take the punishment for sin so that they could stand blameless temporarily before the creator. So God's presence was poured out more sparingly, more intentionally on different individuals. And they would have seen, these brothers would have seen their father, Jacob, have this kind of relationship with the creator. They would have heard stories about, you remember the time when I was wrestling this guy? It was amazing. And I won. And they would hear all these stories about what God had done in their father's life. And maybe they would have been inspired or maybe they would have been jealous and craving that for themselves on a personal level. Then your youngest brother, who you dislike, in fact, the, the text tells us, hate God starts talking to him, probably reinforcing that lie that, okay, the earthly father seems to prefer Joseph. Now our heavenly father prefers Joseph? Come on, give me a break. Joseph has these dreams and he tells his brothers and they do exactly what I think you and I would do. They get angry. They get mad. They get frustrated. They get bitter. They get jealous. And that anger, that frustration, that bitterness, that jealousy moves them to do some things that we're going to look at in a few moments. But the first big idea that I want us to grapple with right now is this. We need to dream our dreams, but we need to be careful who we share those dreams with. We need to dream our dreams hearing from God, but we got to be careful who we share those dreams with. As a 17-year-old kid, Joseph was pumped that he was hearing and seeing and experiencing something he believed to be from God. And so he went to the people that he thought would be supportive. He went to that people and he shared the dreams. And guess what he got? The absence of support. The absence of support. In fact, he got met with defiance. He got met with anger. He got met with frustration. Some might even say rage. Who do you think you are? You think you're going to reign over us? These dreams, these ideas, these hopes, these desires, they were met with something other than love. See, sometimes you and I, we have dreams, we have hopes, we have desires. And when we share those things, we can share them with somebody in our world, our sphere of influence. And instead of being received well, they can be received with what I like to call the hammer effect. Right? We've all been in that space. You share a hope, a desire, a dream. Here's what happened in my world. 
I had a supervisor one time who loved to adopt the moniker of himself called the dream killer. And so what I needed to do over time is I needed to submit plans and budget to the supervisor and say, here's what we're hoping to do. And immediately, every time that I would do it, without a shadow of a doubt, you know what happened? The hammer came down. Oh, no, we can't do that. You can't do that. And instead of thinking outside of the box, the box became tighter and smaller and tighter and smaller. And soon I found myself suffocating in that box. There's no room to breathe, no room to think, no room to dream. As a youth pastor, I remember being in uh, some sort of celebrative worship kind of experience with a group of teenagers, and God was speaking to a bunch of different kids, and for many of them, it was one of the first times that they were hearing God speak to them, whether that was through a picture, through scripture, through something somebody said from stage, through a feeling or an impression, and so we were debriefing that in a small little group, and one of my students, a 16-year-old girl at the time, she said, I really believe that God is telling me that I have a ministry to 18 to 34-year-old men, and I'm looking at her and going, there is no chance that's from Jesus. <laughs> Guess what she does today? She's an addictions counselor for 18 to 34-year-old men. See, the reality is that sometimes we dream dreams and we experience people trying to crush them around us, but at other times we are the crushers. We bring the hammer. Intentionally or unintentionally, we bring the hammer. So let me ask you this, if you are a dreamer, do you have people around you that encourage you to keep dreaming? And if you have a dreamer among you, are you in a person that encourages that dreamer to keep dreaming? Or are you bringing the hammer? Are you a dream crusher, a dream killer? Joseph's brothers, they decided to be dream killers not only that, they even thought about actually physically killing their brother. Like that's hatred and jealousy gone wild leads you to murder all of the time. All of the time, whether that's physical means or just emotional means. Right, talking bad about people. And so what they did, what they did is they decided, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to remove the problem. We're going to end his life. Thankfully, one of the brothers had some moment of sanity. He's like, look, we can't actually kill our brother. Like, that's, that's cruel. Why don't we do something else cruel instead? Let's throw him in a pit that he can't get out of, and then we'll figure this out later. While he's down in that pit, the rest of the brothers are thinking like, you know what? Let's make some money off of our little brother. There's a caravan of people coming, some nomads. Why don't we sell him into slavery? And then we won't literally kill him. We'll just kill him in our father's heart by telling our father a lie that he's dead. We'll take this favorite coat that he's wearing. We'll rip it to shreds. We'll dip it in blood. And we'll say a wild animal got him. Oops, sorry, dad. Not my responsibility. Shouldn't have sent them to spy on us. That's exactly what happens. They sell him into slavery. Joseph is a 17-year-old kid sold out by his family, betrayed by his family. And he finds himself in this traveling caravan and they're going to a foreign country and he gets to this foreign country. He quickly finds out he has no rights. Like he can't object to what's happening to him. He doesn't have the opportunity to choose something different. Everything is being decided for him. He gets sold to a man named Potiphar. And Joseph does what he, and I hope you and I would do in a similar situation, he does his best for his master. 
He does his best. He invests all of his effort, his energy, his well-being, his thoughts, his, all that good stuff. He's investing to benefit his master. And over time, Potiphar takes notice and he sees some greatness in Joseph that's emerging. And so he elevates Joseph to be like in charge over all of everything, except he's only subject to Potiphar. Potiphar is still the head of the household and then Joseph runs the business, so to speak. And in that moment, there's somebody else that takes notice of Joseph, Potiphar's wife. And here's what's important for us to understand. As a slave, you had no rights over your body, your personal self, over your circumstances or your situation. You didn't get to make any decisions at all. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph, he's a handsome dude, and she wants to start up a romantic relationship with the gentleman. Joseph refuses, because he doesn't want to dishonor his master. He's like, you know, I know I don't have rights, but I'm going to say no anyway. She persists and persists and pursues and pursues. She gets so frustrated, she makes up a lie and says that Joseph is the one that tried to initiate some sort of physicality between the two tells her husband, and because she has rights and he does not, he loses. He goes from being sold into slavery to rising up to having a position of authority in a, in a prominent household to now being in jail and in prison because his word doesn't mean a thing. He's nobody. He's just a slave. When he's in prison, he happens to meet a few inmates that are there for a variety of different reasons. And these inmates are having dreams, dreams. Joseph's familiar with dreams. He's dreamed before. And over time, Joseph not only is a dreamer, he's, he's now become a dream interpreter. God's given him the ability to see and understand what these dreams mean over time. And as he listens to his inmate friends share their plights through their dreams, Joseph hears from the Lord what they mean and shares with each one of them what's about to happen. One person is going to be restored to their place of service in the palace for the Pharaoh, for the, the king of the land. The other is going to lose his life. And it plays out exactly as God revealed to Joseph and Joseph communicates with these two inmates. Years go by. Pharaoh is now starting to dream dreams and he's haunted by them and nobody in his court can figure out what the heck is going on. What's happening? What does this mean? What does this look like? How could we get prepared for this? Not a single person. And then, and then this inmate friend of Joseph remembers in that moment, overhears this plight and conversation and remembers he knows somebody that interpreted his dream. And he shares that with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wants to meet this guy. Let's pick up this life story unfolding. We're going to zip into chapter 41, starting at verse 37. We're going to read the interaction between Pharaoh and Joseph. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is, in, is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people and take orders and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a higher, a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Just prior to this summaration or summary of their, their conversation, Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams that he's having. And those dreams are around two major pieces. It's revealed that there's going to be seven years of bounty in the land of Egypt. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be abundance of harvest. It's going to be amazing. But following that seven-year period, there's going to be seven years of famine where it's really difficult and challenging to get any sort of harvest. And so God was giving insight to Pharaoh, like going like, you have got to be prepared for what's coming. And as Joseph clearly communicated what God was trying to say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh was moved. He saw God's hand at work in this gentleman's life. And so he did what I hope you and I would do in a similar, similar situation. He said, okay, we're going to follow what God might be saying. And more importantly than that, you seem to be a very wise, intelligent individual. And nobody else is volunteering, so I'm going to put you in charge. The second big idea I want us to grapple with right now is this. A dream is something to work towards. A dream is something to work towards. This dream that Pharaoh was given about what is going to happen into their land, I mean, he could have done one of two things. He could be like, oh, well, that's nice. Sit back, go like, well, seven years of bounty, and then, well, I had a good run. That's good. I guess uh, the famine will just kind of take me out. Oh, well, I'm going to retire anyway. But he didn't do that. He understood that there was this period of time that their country was, was diving into, 14 years to be exact, that was going to be really significant. And they had everything in their, their hands, so to speak, to be prepared for what was about to happen if they worked towards the dream. Too many of us have dreams that stay in the imagination stage and they never become practical. We never pursue them. I'll have a conversation with somebody like, oh man, I have a dream. I want to be married one day. What is it that you are doing to pursue that dream? Well, nothing. God's just going to bring somebody to me. Okay. That's one response that you can have. And that can happen. But maybe you should prepare yourself along the way. You could try something that we have at our availability right now in our day and age. It's called online dating. It could be good. You could meet some people and you may meet somebody that actually has this soul kinship with you. Or how about this one? I want to play in the NHL. What are you doing? You don't even know how to skate. You can't play in the NHL if you don't know how to skate. 
You actually have to learn how to skate. I want to be a good dad. Are you showing up for your kids? I want to be a good wife or a good husband. Are you present for your spouse? I want to be somebody that loves Jesus. Are you loving Jesus? I want to be a good student. Are you studying? A dream is something to work towards. It's not just something to talk about. It's something to actually pursue. At this crucial moment in the life of Egypt, if the country itself would not have pursued that dream that God had given them, everybody would be in terrible trouble. Everyone. But they pursued the dream. Because a dream is something to work towards. It's not just something to talk about. It's something to put into practice. So, hey, dreamer, keep dreaming, but start moving towards that dream. Because a dream is only a dream until you make it become a reality alongside of the invitation that Jesus has given you to pursue him through the dream. So Joseph accepts this responsibility with, I hope, a layer of humility. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, ha ha, I told you so. You know, finally, he can see what's, what's beginning to happen. These dreams that he was given as a young man, a 17-year-old. He's like, oh, I get it now. I get it now. This is what you've been preparing me for. And he's, he's paraded around and people are bowing down. He's reminded of those original dreams that he shared with his family. I'm sure he is, because I would be. Fast forward a little bit, and the, and the trajectory of history plays out exactly as God communicated to Pharaoh through his dreams. Seven years of bounty. And so Joseph did what he knew how to do, and he was like, let's, let's make sure that everybody has what they need, and then let's save up the rest. We're going to put it in barns and storehouses. We're going to prepare for the years of famine. We're going to be ready for when it's more challenging to grow food so that nobody in our country is going to go without. We're going to make sure that everybody has what they need to survive what is about to come. And then the famine hits. And here's the thing about the famine. It's not just contained to the country of Egypt. It's a little bit more widespread. It's in the surrounding areas. And sure enough, it is even impacting Joseph's own family. The same family that gave up on him. The same family that wanted to kill him. The same family that made a few bucks to sell him into slavery. That same family. And they ran out of food. They ran out of supplies. And there was this rumor going around that the land of Egypt had, had food available to purchase. And so his older brothers were sent out on a journey to go to Egypt to buy food so that they could survive the famine. They could provide for their families right where they were. And they show up one day in Egypt. And guess who they meet? Little old Joe. He's a lot older than they remember. And in fact, he's so much different that they don't even recognize him. But Joseph knows it instantly. And they come into the courtroom, the space that he is there. And guess what they do? They bow down. Because Joseph is in a position of authority. And that's what they did culturally to respect and honor that authority. They bowed down. Instantly thinking about that original dream. That bushel that stood up and all these other bushels, 11 of them, 
come and bow down. And he's in that moment and he's seeing it play right out before his eyes and he could have done anything he wanted to in that space. He could have refused to give them food. He could have ended their lives. He could have taken out all his vengeance, all the bent, pent up rage and, and frustration and just tossed it right on him, but he didn't. Instead, he's moved. He's got to go hide so he can cry and he weeps. His dream that God gave him, he's seeing it play out right before his eyes. He sends his brothers home with a whole bunch of food. Over a series of conversations and subsequent moments, he actually reveals to them who he is. I'm your brother, the one you tried to kill. He finds out that he has another younger brother. He finds out that his dad is still alive. He invites the whole family. Hey, why don't you come? We've got an abundance and plenty here in Egypt. Why don't you all come? I'll take care of you while you're here. You won't have to worry about starving. You won't have to worry about any of that stuff. And we'll ride this thing through together. And when the family shows up and his, his mother and his father, they bow down. Just like that second dream, the sun, the moon, the stars, they bow down. While in Egypt, Joseph's father passes away. And as Joseph's father passes away, I think it makes his older brothers a little bit nervous, a little bit frustrated, a little bit on edge. Is this going to be the moment? Was this all engineered so that he could see his dad one last time and now he's going to take out his vengeance on us? That's the, that's the difference in mindset between Dreamers and dream killers. Dream killers are always cautious and looking like, okay, well, when is this thing going to fall apart? What's going to happen? When are we going to be suffocated by what is playing out around us? And a dreamer is like focused on what actually matters. See, a dreamer is focused on this reality and this understanding that the dream is never more important than the dream giver. And in a moment of really honest conversation between brothers, Joseph responds to his brother's fear like this. Chapter 50, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me. Verse 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong that they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and he wept. Then these brothers came through and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. See, Joseph understood this idea, and I've said it once already, but I'll say it again, that the dream 
is never more important than the dream giver. The dream is never more important than the dream giver. The whole purpose of the dream was that God was revealing himself to Joseph. That was the whole purpose. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. In your moment of greatest need, I will be there. I will give you exactly everything that you need to survive and thrive. You just have to trust me. And it's years and years and years of remembering that that gets Joseph to this point. See, Joseph uncovered this one truth that you and I need to be reminded of. No matter where we are or when we are, God is still present there. If God can find Joseph in prison in a foreign land, he can find you right where you are in this moment. In the midst of your pain, your trauma, your frustration, your questions, your agony, your confusion. He can find you exactly there and he can bring you forward if you will allow him to be the dream breather into your life. He wants to give you a hope and a future. And we waste so much time in our world chasing everything else but the dream giver. We, trace, we chase social status. We chase money and finances. We chase fun things like boats and sea dues and all that stuff. But whenever the dream gets more important in our lives than the dream giver, we have missed the point. If your dream isn't drawing you closer to Jesus, then I will suggest this to you. You are not dreaming a God-given dream. If your dream is distracting you from what God is inviting you into, then it is not from God. If you are feeling like you're purposeless in your life right now, will you allow the dream breather, the dream giver to be his rightful place in your life? That is your master, that is your king, that is your leader that will give you exactly what you need in every moment of every situation, even when it's hard and frustrating. Joseph was a guy who was abandoned and betrayed by his family. He was a guy that was sold into slavery. He was a guy that lived in prison for a long time. And through all of that, he gains this precious perspective that God is still good. God is still loving. In fact, he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could live. Now that is a dream breather. And a dream giver. So my questions to us today are this. Have we stopped dreaming? Because it's been too hard. Too frustrating. Maybe we need to start again. Have we gotten into the habit of killing dreams? I'm not talking about being realistic. And, and, and having good opinions about what we could do or couldn't do. I'm talking about absolutely crushing the dreams of others because you want some sort of sense of control. Have you, have you given in to that temptation? Or have you been given a dream and you just you stopped moving towards it because it's gotten too hard or you feel like you're too old or you feel like you missed too many opportunities? 
or you've embraced your trauma and your pain so much that that now defines you instead of what the king of heaven says about who you are? Or have you been distracted pursuing the wrong thing, allowing something else to occupy your focus, your focus that is preserved for Jesus? If you and I, if we could fix our eyes on Jesus in every moment, in every challenge, in every question, in every situation, I cannot help but believe the Bible to be true. God will provide for us in that moment, in that season, when his timing is right. And I know that's really hard for us to understand when we're right in the middle of prison. Not knowing whether or not we're ever going to get out. Not knowing if we've been forgotten by family or friends. Not knowing which way is up or down or left or right. But it's in that space and in that moment that the dream giver will bring life if you allow him to speak. Let's pray together. Father, I'm 100% convinced and convicted that you are still God and we are not. And I recognize, Jesus, that there are so many things in our world that we do not yet understand in our human level of comprehension. Why is there sickness? Why is there suffering? Why is there tragedies all around? Why do these things happen? And yet you, God, are still in control. You, God, are still providing a way forward. You, God, are providing hope where there is the absence of hope. And so, Jesus, I ask in these next few moments, if there's anybody here or online who does not yet know who you are, who's been running from you, who's been frustrated by you, who's been terrified to give up their life to you because of what they think that's going to mean, they think it's going to be a set of rules and restrictions and it's completely opposite. It's a springboard into what life is supposed to be about. God, I pray that you'd speak to them right now, that you'd remind them of how you've been pursuing them through, through dreams and through thoughts and through ideas and through people, through circumstances and situations. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to find the words to share with you so they can start that relational journey. And Lord, I'm, I'm fully aware that there's so many of us that are in different spaces along that journey, different spaces where we have been hurt, we've been frustrated, we've been seemingly forgotten. Would you wake us up? Would you wake us up and remind us that we are not alone in that moment? The dream giver is present. The dream giver is there breathing life and hope. We just have to open up our eyes, trust him and his timing because he will bring us forward. Father, would you forgive us where we have functioned like dream killers? Where we have squashed what you wanted to do in somebody else's life through a, a word, through a mis, misspoken, mistiming in our words or with our actions. Lord, would you give us opportunities to restore those things? And would you uh, create resiliency in that dreamer so that they can continue to think and hope and believe and discover what you might have for them? 
And Lord, above all, we do not want anything or anyone to occupy our focus more than you. So forgive us when we've turned our eyes and fixed them on something else outside of Jesus. As we turn our eyes towards you, Lord, as we fix them upon you, would you bless us and protect us? Would you smile upon us and be gracious to us? Would you grant us your favor and your peace? We pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.